0: Hi guys, welcome back to the JC Podcast. This episode is going to be a little different to what I normally do. Today we're going to talk about American football and delve into why it's so loved in the States and do a draft of what we think would have happened in March Madness. So to do this, I've called in fellow sports enthusiast and friend Dylan Stram to help me out. Dylan, how's things, mate?
1: they are going pretty good. Just getting used to uh, all this coronavirus, COVID-19 stuff. Trying to survive with sports being uh, canceled. Mate, it's been a, it's been a rough month, hasn't it? Without any any professional sport. Yeah, it's been really tough. March Madness probably hit me the hardest <laughs> that being canceled because that's that's such a big event every year. And uh,
0: yeah. Um. So, just wanted to talk about a little bit about college football. Obviously, the NBA is quite big over here, but I wouldn't say the same about college football. So, I just wanted to get your opinion on why do you think it's so big in the state.
1: Yeah, well, college, I would say, is huge in the states, depending on the state that you live in. Um, largely, it comes down to whether there's uh, an NFL team in your state or uh, kind of your region. I am I live in Oregon, which is on the West Coast, yeah. and we're kind of wedged right between Washington and California, and Washington has the Seattle Seahawks, California has the Niners and the Raiders. Well, not the Raiders anymore. Yeah. Um, and then the Chargers and the Rams. But Oregon has no pro team. So, uh, you know, people get uh, really big into the the University of Oregon Ducks, which is where I went. And uh, I actually live in Eugene, where the Ducks uh, are from. And then there's the Oregon State Beavers. So, you know, here in Oregon, people are uh, it's almost religious um, for people college football wise, because there's no pro team. Yeah. You know, we also, the only other, the only pro team we have is the, the NBA, the Portland Trailblazers. So for people to kind of get their sports fix and have a local, uh, affiliation, it's, it's college. And I mean, the same thing, it depends on what region you're in in the states down in the South. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to church every Saturday. That's what it's like. <laughs> um, because they did not have, uh, pro teams really until the sixties, um, when Atlanta and Miami, were were founded in uh, Georgia and Florida, yeah. but places like Alabama, Mississippi, um, Kentucky, uh, Louisiana, they still don't have pro teams. There's one in Tennessee, but you know college football rules supreme in the South, which is uh, oh, yeah. that's the Southeastern Conference, the SEC. Um, I mean, it's it's really religious for especially teams in the South and Texas. Oh, it's by far the
0: biggest sport in those states by quite I'd say quite a margin. Um yeah, as you said, um there wasn't any teams in the South until at least the nineteen sixties, uh with the Falcons um and the Dolphins joining the league. Um do you feel like people tend to root for their alumni? Um so the college that they went to?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Um I mean for for enrollment here at universities it's it's, it's kinda of bizarre. Uh, you ask kids why they choose a particular university, um, and one of the leading causes, I think, in one of the most recent polls, it was the number one leading cause was the success of the university's football team. So the University of Oregon here in Eugene, where I live, um, we have a pretty pretty large university, 25,000 kids around, yep. around that, and tons of kids come from all over the country, especially California, because of the football team. So they want to go to a school that has a good football team. They want to be able to tailgate, and party, and go into the student sections and get crazy. Yeah. They want to have that loyalty, and then of course when they graduate, uh, they're going to have loyalty to that team, you know, forever. Oh and yeah, definitely. Teams, there's teams like Stanford and Cal, um, which do not have uh, a lot of their alumni move after they after they graduate um, because they're kind of high end tech universities um and they don't have a big following so it's kind of odd you know it depends on where you live and then it depends on kind of the the population of kids that go to your school yeah um if they stick around a place like oregon where i'm from people graduate and kind of tend to stick around so they have you know home games are a huge deal place like stanford there's not a lot of alumni or local affiliation so you can even break it down you know further than just uh where where you live, it kind of depends on school to school. But absolutely, I would say yeah, people really are uh, hardcore for their their alumni schools. And speaking about
0: um, the the geographics of uh, where the teams are, it's it's obviously with a pro team, there's always a risk. I know there's some very established franchises. Like I wouldn't say that a team like the Dallas Cowboys would move, but with a college team, there's no risk that. That team is going to go anywhere because they were born in that city, and they're probably their name probably comes from that city or state. So there's no risk that that team is going to move to a different city. Like you, taking the NFL over the last five years, you got two, well, three teams: the Raiders, Rams, and Chargers have all moved cities in the last five years.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, these, you know, the people that are are local. Um, and they bleed their school's colors, and they know that they're here to stay. Yeah. Um, you can know, even, even look at the NBA, like when the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City. Like, you know, they're still pretty salty up there still about that. And there's, there's even with the players. You know, players are always going to the move. They're not going to have loyalty necessarily to one franchise. Yeah. Because it's you know it's where they work. But a college player, you know, they play for your school, and they're I mean, they're heroes for the rest of their lives. Marcus Mariota one, Oregon's uh, first and only Heisman, and that yeah. guy still comes to games. He's uh, still kind of a, a, a presence every now and then, and I mean he's he's you know, he's second coming of Jesus Christ for a lot of people.
0: <laughs> I'm sure to to you he probably is. Uh, I wouldn't say to the rest of the country.
1: <laughs> no, especially the teams that he beat.
0: Yeah, it's 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 good you mentioned that because the the next point I want to bring up is the. Inevitable player turnover, which you've <clears throat> kind of mentioned already in the pro sport, because obviously a player is very, very unlikely to stick with one franchise for the whole, whole of their career. You have players, you know, like Derek Nowitzki and uh, Kobe Bryant in the NBA that managed to achieve that feat, but in college, there's rarely is there a transfer between for a top, you know, a five star recruit. Yeah. Um Yeah. They're more more likely to stick with their college for the you know, for the NFL three years before they enter the draft and for the NBA just the one season.
1: Yeah, and college really encourages guys to stay too. Um there are pretty strict rules on transferring. Once you sign to a school, um I, I believe unless you get a medical waiver, um, you're required to sit out a year. Um uh, like I said, unless you get a medical waiver, or I think if you graduated school, but otherwise, yeah. once you sign with a school, um, you pretty much have to stay with that school for your career. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not like the in pro sports where players can kind of complain and and cause drama and be traded or pull an antenna around. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's pretty nuts.
0: Um, and just. Speaking about player turnover as well, there's also the, the lack of second division as well, which in college football really creates uh, this, this idea of allowing players to mature, especially for a game like American football and obviously in the pros it's you know very, very intense. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: Is it like uh, college is a proving ground for guys? Before they yeah, pros, so just, in,
0: just drawing comparisons to Australia with the the way we use our second division and third division of each sport to kind of mature players before they're ready for pro sports. Right. Uh, in America, you don't really have that except for baseball with AAA and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, here in America, it totally depends on the sport. Like you mentioned, baseball's got uh, AAA, double-baseball AA, to kind of develop players before they hit the pros, but um, one of the exciting parts about college football, you know, we got it coming up next week is the draft. Guys come in every year, you know, and you can see a player from college to the very next year being a starter in the NFL. Yeah, make a huge impact. Um, Just take, take Nick Boza was, last year for the Niners. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and the NBA is probably more dramatic. Guys come in and become, you know, they can be all stars the very first year. The NFL you got, you know, guys like Nick Bosa coming in as rookies and being you know, all pro type guys. Um,
0: and just talking a bit more about the fan experience, um a lot of Australians uh don't really understand tailgating. So just from an American perspective, uh do you mind just telling us a little bit about it?
1: Yeah, I think um I've never been to an NFL game, but part of the reason that I've never been to an NFL game is because tickets can be so expensive. Yeah, it's um, quite ridiculous. You know, if you're a you're a student At a university, you get uh, free admission to any games. And depending on the school, like U of O, uh, we've had sellouts for the last 10, 20 years. So it's hard to get tickets. It's pretty competitive, but you can go for free. You can go for 20, 30 bucks. The NFL, you're paying hundreds of dollars to go to the game. Yeah. So it's way more accessible for people to go to college games. The atmosphere, you've got uh, tailgating, which does exist in the NFL. But college, the tailgating, you know, I mean, it happens. Some people show up. One or two days beforehand, you know, here in Oregon, people will drive and show up on Friday night or Saturday morning um, and start tailgating all day before a game because they're coming from halfway across the state. Yeah, the um, experience—I mean, it's crazy. They throw, you know, they, um, here at U of O, we have the team comes in with a, a motorcycle. You've got the presence. Every every team has a mascot. Mascots rile the crowds up. Yeah, um, it's—I've never been to an NFL game and. But the college crowd and the college experience from what I from what I've experienced at least is uh is far more intense and enjoyable at a college game.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty nuts. Um, we definitely don't really have anything like that in Australia. Um let's talk a little bit more about the the actual traditions and as you mentioned before, you know, in southern states in America, college football is religious and it's really taken very, very seriously. So some of the things I want to talk about is the, you know, obviously the, the Smurf turf uh, for yeah. Boise State is quite, a, quite an infamous thing in college football, um, and there's definitely a lot of deeper loyalty amongst fans, and the rivalries, I think. Would you say they're a bit stronger than, say, a rivalry in the NFL?
1: I would say so, yeah. Um, usually because a lot of the rivalries in college are uh, – people living within closer proximity to each other. Yeah. Uh, you have, you know, one of the more intense rivalries in the NFL would be like the Seahawks and the Niners or, um, you know, the, the Ravens and the Steelers, but those are people who don't really rub shoulders a lot. No. Um, here in Oregon, we have the civil war game, which is the ducks and the beavers. And, uh, you know, you you live right next to people who are diehard fans of the other team. And so kind of all year there's this, Chipping, you know, ah, we're going to beat you this year. And when one team wins, you got bragging rights for a whole year. Um, you know, the Ducks had a down season a couple of years ago and lost to the Beavers. And it was uh, it was if college teams, a lot of times if you lose your rivalry game, that's all fans really care about. Um, yeah. If you, just, if you beat your rival, that's what matters. You know, you're you can keep your job as a head coach. You just beat your rival. <laughs> Alabama, Auburn is a huge one. Ohio yeah. State, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. LSU, Texas. Uh, Oregon, Washington. You know, those are rivalries which, you know, you can – you can people can go back and remember yeah. the entire games. You know, we still play clips of, of rivalry games going back decades. Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, as you mentioned with the rivalry game, it's kind of – because it's so – it's so pinpointed. The, the top of college football is so pinpointed. Like, you have to be basically unbeaten the whole season, which – You know, for some of the smaller schools, is quite a rarity. Obviously, you have uh, schools like Alabama and Clemson and Notre Dame, who are always going to be you know very competitive every season. But as you said, um, as long as they win the rivalry game, the the season doesn't really matter that much, does it?
1: You're right. Yeah, and that kind of that kind of can segue into the one one of the big differences between college and the NFL, where I think the NFL actually has an advantage over college is that the NFL, they have kind of a central planner, which makes schedules for every team, every season. Yeah. Um, in college, it's the individual schools who can make their own schedules. So if you're, uh, if you're Oregon in the PAC 12 conference, you know, you have your schedule set for your PAC 12, uh, opponents, but uh, you have non-conference games anywhere from two to four a year and schools can pick who they play. Um, So, like you said, it's really, really hard to go undefeated or go 11 and 1, 12 and 1, which is the requirement for making the playoffs because there's only four teams that can make the playoffs in college. Yeah. So teams are going to be more likely to schedule bad opponents for their non-conference. So it's, you know, a team like Alabama, you know, I'm going to kind of give them some grief. They don't usually schedule very difficult opponents. No, they don't. So it's easier for them to have that path towards the playoffs. Versus like in, I mean, again, Oregon, we scheduled Auburn, very first game of the year. We've got Ohio State in the next two years. When you're trying to go undefeated, you schedule one tough non-conference team. You lose that one game. You know, you put a lot of pressure on these college athletes who are, you know, 18, 19 years old to win one game and to be absolutely perfect for a season. Yeah. Um, You know, the NFL, I like the fact that there's kind of every team has, as fair of a schedule as they can kind of get and teams can make playoffs without having pressure of being perfect for an entire season. Um, yeah. I mean, Oregon this year would have made the playoffs and lost, had one bad game to Arizona state, which, you know, when you're playing 18, 19 year old kids, they're going to have those. Um, so I, yeah, that scheduling is a huge difference between college and NFL.
0: Are you a big believer in um, an team playoff format for college? Do you think that's a good I would idea? say
1: at least, yeah, I would say at least eight teams. You know, yeah. that's four teams right now is is protocol for uh, the FBS, which is the biggest, biggest 130 schools. But the FCS, uh, they have a 24 team playoff format, which I think is entirely reasonable for FBS to do. Yeah. Maybe not 24, but I would say at least eight is a good place to start. Um, I wouldn't mind going up even to.
0: Potentially twelve. Well, they're talking about having the the proposed playoff format that I've read is having one team, the champion from each of the Power Five conference, um, and then three wild cards. So there's a little bit more of a variety and um, different conferences that don't, you know, normally make, as you said, the FBS um, have a chance really, or more of an opportunity to make the postseason.
1: Yeah, I like that because it rewards teams who win their conferences and uh, also which is gives the way, teams a
0: little bit of wiggle room. Which is the way March Madness worked as well, right? If you win your conference, you're right. guaranteed a spot in March Madness.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I like that, that, that format. Um,
0: and as you were talking before about undefeated teams, you had a team like TCU three years ago that went undefeated and beat Alabama in the regular season that didn't even make uh the top four. So it's quite a yeah. it's quite a strange and also the the process of doing the the rankings as well with the computer generator and having a sort of, you know, group of people kind of decide I I've never really understood that. Um I guess yeah. there's there's not really a way to do it properly because you know, I, I guess having a representative from each team is the best way of doing it. Do you, do you think there's always a bit of unbiased uh, favoritism in that in that way?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the downsides of college football is that there is kind of that that the old gentleman's club bias where the, uh, the old powers, the Auburns, the Alabamas, Ohio States, you know, those teams that have been around forever, are, they're always going to be slightly favored. Yeah. Um, and it's going to make it hard for teams like, I, I think it was UCF a few years ago that went undefeated, not TCU. Um, but, you know, they go undefeated and they might not have played the toughest schedule, but they did exactly what they were supposed to do and didn't even get, get a shot. Whereas if we have an 18 playoff, you know, you reward the teams that, that do what you tell them to do to make it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Another
0: thing I love. About college football is the uh, traditions that go alongside with it. So as I mentioned before, the smurf turf I think is awesome, um, and obviously I don't think you see that anywhere in the NFL. Uh, the other no, thing, I I,
1: hate the turf, you hate it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, that's one of the things I don't. I don't like the different colored turfs. Teams get kind of crazy with it. Ah, <laughs> uh, but and also like the, that blue that matches the turf. I mean, it's. Uh, it's a huge advantage for the home team. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh but also the the moving of the chains in Miami after each defensive stop. I think that's pretty right. cool. And just the little like little little quirks and superstitions that each team have. You have the touching of the rock in Clemson. Um Alabama have the the banner uh in their mm-hmm. in their dressing room that they all have to touch before the game otherwise they lose. Stuff that stuff like that really ties into the, the aspect of the sport being such a religion in, you know, big schools like uh, Clemson, Alabama.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, uh, I mean, that happens to an extent in the NFL, but it's not the same, you know, the, the, the traditions in college, because people feel that ownership of the teams, you know, yeah. they know it's not a professional team owned by a billionaire who can pack up and move if he wants, you know, the, the teams are theirs, they're there to stay. They feel this ownership, the traditions matter to them, they matter to families, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's on a different level in college.
0: Now, moving into a um, a slightly different topic, um, something that I know we don't agree on is the, the big question that's kind of come up in the last couple of years, obviously it's been around for ages, but I would have to say in the last couple of years, it's been a little bit more prominent, and that is... If uh, college athletes should be
1: paid, so do you want to start us off with that? Sure. Yeah. So that's the big, big debate, um, and it's uh, it's a pretty complicated debate, in my opinion, on whether the college athletes should get paid. Um, that's the, the you know primary difference, obviously, between college and pro is that the pro athletes get paid salaries, college athletes don't. They can get uh, you know, schools can give them tuition. Um, and living expenses and that kind of thing legally, yeah. but they're not allowed to pay them. Um, and there have been a lot of legal issues in the past you well, know, decade plus on. Well, they're not even
0: allowed um, to like the coach isn't even allowed to take their player out for dinner. Like there's there's so many yeah. little rules like that that can get people in a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of hard, you know. College, the way it, you know, college is set up is they're amateur athletes. If you know one, if you have Alabama. Who takes a potential high school prospect out to dinner and spends a thousand dollars on a dinner for this kid and uh, he goes to another school to visit because he's thinking about what school to go to and it's a lesser school that maybe can't afford that and they take him out to like uh, some regular restaurant you know where is he gonna want to go he's probably gonna want to go to Alabama because they just dropped a thousand dollars on him for this meal yeah um so the NCAA kind of has to build in these these rules to keep the uh, the recruiting field as fair as they can, um, and in college, you know, one of the downsides of college is that the best teams are always going to kind of be the best teams. You know, yeah, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, you know, those are schools with uh, storied traditions and programs going back 100, 150 years in some cases, and they're always going to get the best players. So it's kind of a built-in advantage for those bigger schools. However, you know the NCAA tries to do what they can to keep things fair. And taking guys out to dinner, or you know, buying them a car, or giving them money, it would obviously benefit the huge schools that have all of this, you know, expendable income. A, that those biggest, big, bigger schools—they're bringing in hundreds of million millions of dollars of income a year. Oh yeah. Um, so I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge moneymaker. Oh yeah, it's a it's a billion
0: dollar industry the NCAA definitely. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, as you said there's been a lot of problems in the past with uh you know, money under the table sort of thing to try and get the best players, but honestly I don't really think it's an issue for those big those big schools because their recruiting class is always going to be amazing no matter how they perform the season before just because of their prestige and you know the name of the school, as you said, Alabama, Ohio State. All these traditional schools are always going to get good players, no matter what.
1: Right. I think. I think the biggest fear that I would have, and is that it turns into a bidding war. You know, you have uh, a guy deciding to go. He's he's made his choice between uh, uh, Auburn and Alabama, and yeah. he goes to Alabama. And he's like, "Hey, I'll come to your school. You got to pay me. You got to pay me fifty thousand a year." And they're like, ah, we can't do 50000 a year. We can do 40000 a year. And he goes to Auburn. And he's like, hey, I'll go to your school if you give me 50000 a year. And they're like, we'll do fifty. And he chooses to go to Auburn because they decided to pay him more. Yeah. So, you know, there's that's what happens in the NFL more or less.
0: Yeah, um, definitely. But, With free you know, agency, definitely.
1: Keep things a bit more, I don't know. Pure is not quite the right word, but um, try to keep the money out of the players' decisions in a direct way blatant kind of way so that it just doesn't turn into this bidding war where guys are just pitting schools against each other for the most money
0: yeah i yeah i agree with that yeah as you said in the past you know they are they are being paid in tuition really like they're being given a free education is is really their their salary really um you know some some of these kids are coming you know, not from the best backgrounds, um, and to have that education and opportunity to go to a, a great school is probably, you know, is probably that their, their pay really, um. But I, to be honest, in my opinion, especially for a sport like American football, I just think students should be paid at least a little bit of money, um, because some of these kids are forced. You've had you've had kids in the past, like. The one that springs to mind um, is Alan Iverson, who went to Georgetown for a year. And I really think he a player like him needed another year in college basketball to really mature before he hit pro sports. Uh, but he was he was basically forced to go to pro pro sports because his family was, you know, didn't have any money at all and he needed the money to help his family out. So what do you think with that kind of conundrum?
1: That's a tough situation. Um, part of the, uh, you know, football is a great example because college football brings in billions of dollars, um, and there it's really easy to see. You know, it's a it's a it's a great example to see how you know these players are are making their universities millions of dollars. Their head coaches are getting paid uh, millions of dollars, um, yeah, and they're not technically getting paid a salary, uh, but then you know. The, the kind of the equity issue from there though is like well what about the teams uh what about their soccer team? Their soccer team loses money. You know, most most universities can only run their sports departments because football and to a lesser extent basketball makes money. So you got the questions, well which athletes get paid? Is it only the football players who are technically they're the only ones making money for the school. Yeah. They get paid Um, Does the starting quarterback get paid more than the backup? Does the quarterback get paid more than the wide receiver? Um, How do you determine, does everyone get paid the exact same amount of money? Um, You know, soccer, they lose money. Baseball in college loses money. Um, Lacrosse loses money. So do all of those athletes get paid the exact same amount? Do certain sports get paid less? Um, And it's kind of just, it's kind of a cluster when you look at it because it's, it's kind of a—it's a really complicated issue when you, when you dig into it from that aspect. Because if we're arguing athletes get paid, well, then there's the fact that certain athletes are valued more than others, and now we've got this whole equity issue on their hands. That I think the NCAA has kind of just wanted to kick down the road and not address because it's there's no great answer to that. Yeah,
0: definitely, it's—it's it's not going to get uh, resolved in the next couple of years for sure.
1: I want to make sure I address your kind of your directed question about like players like Allen Iverson who are kind of forced to go pro for whatever reason, you know, family issues. Um, I think the way that I look at it is, you know, that Allen Iverson college was his platform to be able to show his skills um, that he could have gone that he did go pro. You know, he could not have gone pro. I mean, he could have gone pro back then because they didn't have the requirement of the year in college, Yeah, but he used college to show off his skills. So he got value from being a college athlete. Um, a lot of athletes go the three, four years and they can get the degree. And that is worth tens of thousands of dollars if they go through and they get their degree for people who come from bad family situations. You know, I, it, it's tempting to say, Hey, they should be paid because they're coming from a rough family situation or poverty. Um, but I think that, at the very least, like this is their skill, this is what they can market and get and hopefully develop a career from. yeah, um, I think that's value in itself, and we can disagree that maybe it's not valuable enough, but yeah, no i that's a good way of looking at it
0: um yeah, obviously, everyone's gonna have their <laughs> their different opinion on it, so moving a little bit into pro sports uh quite a lot's happened in the last couple of months um in the n f l obviously we've in the off season. For the sport at the moment, um, and there's been some big moves and trades uh, in free agency.
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's there were some pretty major moves this year. Um, the Tom Brady going to the Bucs, um, not sure how you think about that. Uh, Winston getting cut. Yeah,
0: honestly, it surprised me. I really thought he was going to the Chargers. I was quite adamant. I I knew he was definitely leaving the Patriots because I I think his relationship with Belichick definitely broke down after the Super Bowl in 2018. Um, I think it hasn't really recovered from that point. Um, But I was really surprised he went to the Buccaneers, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think that took everyone by surprise. I, uh, I did some digging, and surprisingly, the Bucs have the fifth highest chance of making the Super Bowl. Wow, um, on the the Vegas the Vegas books, uh, kind of looking at the Bucks, I maybe he knows something that we all don't because they look uh, they look pretty stout. I mean, well, they they got they got Mike Evans and, and Godwin, and they got a decent defense. He's got weapons there on offense.
0: Yeah, the surprising thing that I found out was their their defense is actually quite good. I think they had the fifth highest defense efficiency rate last year, which is not bad for. A, yeah, a team like Tampa that doesn't really have that defense prowess.
1: Yeah, well, obviously and you got James Winston through like 30 31 picks last year the Yeah, the defense has been put in terrible spots <laughs> all year.
0: He went 30 for 30 last year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh James Winston.
0: Well, Tom Brady really was the first domino to fall in uh the the quarterback market. Obviously had Philip Rivers going to the Colts. Uh, which I think yeah. everyone everyone kind of saw coming. Um, and then Cam Newton lost his job in Carolina.
1: Yeah, Cam Newton, I mean, he's got the kind of the lingering injury issues. He, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he should be in the middle of his peak right now, but yeah, he's had be. injury issues. What is he? He's I think, like 29? Uh, he, I think he just turned 30.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so he should be right in the middle of his peak.
1: Yeah. But I, for him coming out of college, I mean, I he had a run there, he was unstoppable. I think most people kind of predicted a physical breakdown at some point just because of the uh style of his play. So, I for myself, I can't say I'm surprised that he's had these injury issues. Um but it is surprising to see a team like Carolina cut him um when he still has, you know, tons of potential.
0: Yeah. Um do you think it do you think a team will pick him up? Do you think a team will take a risk on him?
1: Definitely. Yeah, I really do. I think, you know, you kind of got your glaring teams right now that need a quarterback, the teams like the Chargers and the Dolphins. Um I I, I could see him going to the the, the Chargers. There's some buzz about him going to the Rams and competing with Jared Goff. Wow, um, that'd be interesting. Yeah, but Both I think very different. you know, I think uh I think the Chargers or the Rams or the Dolphins are probably gonna take Justin Herbert, quarterback. Uh I think he's gonna be the second quarterback off the board. Um so I, I would be surprised if teams make a move on Cam Newton for the draft.
0: Just, yeah. You
1: know, they kinda of wanna see what they can get. And there's it's a deep quarterback class this year. Oh, uh, it's I absolutely expect Cam Newton
0: to be somewhere. It's a great it's honestly it's gonna be one of the best quarterback classes in the last couple of years, I reckon. There's some great yeah. some great candidates, I reckon that could be very, very, very good uh NFL quarterbacks, I think, in the next couple of years. Definitely Trevor Lawrence and Joe Exotic, the Tiger king, uh stand out for yeah.
1: me. I really think Justin Herbert's gonna go number two. Um, you know, he's a University of Oregon, he's a duck, so um I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Marcus Mariota went to the Raiders too, and he's a duck. You know, so I'm I'm rooting for him to beat out Carr and see what he can do with with Drew down there, in uh, in Vegas now, and that's a whole another sub story by itself is the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders now. But uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. I saw I actually saw Justin Herbert at the golf range the other day. I was I was hitting some balls and uh, Justin Herbert walks up and starts golfing right next to me, and I didn't say anything, but it was kind of cool.
0: That's pretty awesome, man. Do you, do you not feel inclined to say like good or like how are you going? Or you just want to, like, leave him alone because he probably doesn't want to be disturbed?
1: Well, that's one of the cool things about uh, being in a university town and college sports is that you do see the athletes all the time. Like, I mean, when I was at university, I played basketball with some of the guys on the team, some of the guys on the basketball team. So you team around. So you see Herbert and you want to say something. I did not, but there was an older guy who came up and kind of talked to him a little bit. And you could tell Herbert was kind of just wanting to play golf and not be interrupted, but, yeah, um, yeah, it's cool. Um, and obviously the, the
0: other big, uh, trade, which honestly took me completely, had no idea that the Houston general management could be that stupid, uh, to make a, a trade, which probably the best wide receiver, uh, in the game, uh, yeah. for, uh, a, a quarterback that is, sorry, for a running back that has really fallen off. The cliff, uh, I would say, in the last two years in David Johnson. I, I, I just don't think he has that top five mentality that he did uh, a couple of years ago. It really was quite a surprising trade. Um, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that was bizarre. I mean, Johnson got basically benched for Kenny and Drake last year, which should tell you enough right there, even though Drake was efficient. Um, but that was, that was a Bill O'Brien thing. He's kind of had a history of um, power control issues the last few years. Um, Did, last year, traded away two first rounders and a second rounder for Laramie Tunstill who is on the last year of a contract and probably won't even be on the team come next year. I mean, I don't, I don't know why they're giving Bill Bryan that kind of power still, but that was yeah. a bizarre trade, and I would be, uh, I would be absolutely pissed if I was a Houston fan. Oh uh, yeah, definitely and for... they took away uh Watkins number 1 weapon there and gave him to Kyler Murray.
0: Yeah, yeah, gave him to you know, I would I would say someone who's going to be a top 10 quarterback this year in Kyler Murray and now he has the the person to really throw the ball to.
1: Yeah, Arizona's going to be uh definitely better this year and that Kind of makes me uh, a little nervous being a forty nine er fan because
0: you got to yeah. play them twice. Yeah, our division's going to be pretty uh, pretty intense this year, I think, because obviously Seattle is um, always, you know, going to be quite competitive. The Rams, uh, I think, are going to have a, a bounce back year, and Arizona is obviously on the rise as well. And then you have us, who just came off a Super Bowl loss and are looking for a bit of revenge. So it's going to be a quite quite an interesting division this year.
1: Yeah, what do you what do you think of the uh the Buckner trade? I just think he he probably would have
0: wanted a bit more money than when we were offering him and I think yeah. with our salary cap there was no way that we were going to be able to afford that. Um Solomon Thomas obviously hasn't really worked out as a you know, a stellar uh, defensive end. Uh sorry, defensive tackle. Uh but I I honestly don't think we we really need him. Um maybe we could draft maybe we could probably draft a late round and just get get a bit of depth in that position but nick boza is just an incredible player uh we still we kept d ford uh which i think was the the right decision um and as i said yeah i think solomon thomas has got a little bit little little bit more of growth and maturity in him
1: yeah, that would basically be my analysis too. Was that he was going to want uh Aaron Donald type of money? Yeah, which and is just ridiculous. Aaron Donald for... Type of money, you got to be a a transcendent type of player. And Buckner's good, but not quite that quite that good. Yeah, um, he's another guy that uh, both he and Eric Armstead were University of Oregon guys and uh, played alongside each other at U of o. I Actually, had classes with Defoe Buckner. Oh, really. Um, so it's, it's it's sad to see him break apart. You no, know, they were drafted one year apart, so they played at U of O, played at San Fran and kind of sad to see him break up like this, but uh yeah, I think one of the big uh big points is that we've got I think DJ Jones coming back and he he could really develop and be uh a a standout type of player in place of Buckner. So I'm not terribly worried.
0: Yeah, I'm not worried about defense at all. I'm more worried about who Jimmy Garoppolo is actually going to throw the ball to this season. Yeah. Because obviously yeah, we, I think, we lost Emmanuel Sanders and we kind of need a number one wide receiver.
1: Yeah, I think the 49ers in the draft uh, with that 13th pick, I think they should keep it and uh, either – I would probably go after a wide receiver with that 13th pick because there are some pretty solid wide receivers coming out. And then, you know, I think they have the 31st pick. I'd probably go after a cornerback. Yeah. Because probably their two, two needs right there are wide receiver and cornerback. If you can get a top-level wide receiver that can contribute right away, um, I think they'll be stout. Uh, this year, I think it's fascinating this year because everything is closed due to the coronavirus. This is going to be a year that the veteran teams – who are kind of already uh, already have a built roster are going to be at an advantage versus the teams building through the draft because there's not going to be a lot of offseason workout programs for those rookies to get uh, comfortable with the system. Yeah. So I think teams are drafting. You know, I think it's going to impact the draft in a huge way. They're going to want guys that can come in and contribute right away as opposed to like a project kind of guy who you might develop over a couple of years. Yeah. Especially for a team like the Niners who they want a guy They're you know, they're a couple pieces away from winning the whole, the whole thing. And um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating how the coronavirus is impacting sports all across the board and specifically the draft. Cause that's coming up next week.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be all, um, it's going to be the first virtual draft as well, which will be quite interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating.
0: Because it's the, the NFL draft has really become such a, a massive event um, just for yeah. fa- fan experience in the last couple of years. Well, not really the last couple of years. I'd say for the last 30 to 40 years, it's really such a, a massive event in um, American sports.
1: Yeah, I mean, that should tell you all you need to know about why and how football is so popular in America that the uh, something like the draft, is so popular and draws millions of viewers.
0: All right, so let's move a little bit into the March Madness. Um, We've created a little top 16. Obviously, the March Madness was cancelled, sadly, this year. Uh, So we've gone ahead and auto-generated a little sweet 16 for you guys. Um, And Dylan and I are just going to talk to you guys about you know, who we think are the best teams, um, and why we, you know, who we pick to win the whole thing. So, do you want to start us off, Dylan?
1: Sure. I will start off by saying that you put me in a real tough spot, because uh, <laughs> in that first Mate,
0: game, it wasn't me, it was the computer, alright? <laughs>
1: yeah, number one seed, Kansas, going against number four seed, Oregon, um, you, you, man, you're putting me in a tough spot right away. Sweet. <laughs> what we picked what the top 16 ranked teams according to the AP polls that correct
0: yeah according to the official AP okay. AP poll because i know there's some polls that are a little bit different
1: yeah 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 well i mean both you and i would agree that the top 16 teams never make it so this is a completely hypothetical uh march madness but still kind of fun to talk about the teams um yeah man you put me in a tough spot but i would I would take Oregon over Kansas. Oh wow. Okay. Um, in that first game and I'm going completely with my heart here. If I had to bet money in it, I would probably pick Kansas, but uh things are crazy this year. It got canceled, so I can kinda of pick who I want go with my heart. Well can-
0: um, Kansas have been the consensus number one team in the country. Obviously they have Devin Doston, who's just an amazing Defensive yeah. player, and I think if he declares for the draft, he's going to be a, a top lottery pick, definitely. Um, 3.6 steals a game in college basketball is just ridiculous. Um, and he's also... Yeah. He reminds me a little bit of uh, De'Aaron Fox in the way he's just so quick on the ball and really, you know, four to five seconds down the court, um, which, you know, doesn't really translate to the NBA game because... NBA is a lot more about controlling the ball and being able to control the possession. But in college basketball, when you have to quick score, um, you know, in close close games, that, you know, games typically are very close. Um, his game just worked so well. And obviously Marcus Garrett as well. Um, is a great perimeter defender. The kind of the strategy I normally use when picking uh my March Madness bracket, which I do every year, is I look for three-point shooting. So I look for teams that are typically the best three-point... Have the best three-point shooters. Uh, Not necessarily percentage, but uh, just uh, volume of shots. Uh, I look for teams that have very good perimeter defenders. Uh, So obviously, as I mentioned, Marcus Garrett is a very good perimeter defender. Uh, A team that can rebound very well. uh, Because I think rebounding in the tournament is quite crucial to your success. Um, and then teams that have also come into the tournament on form. So would you agree with any of that assessment?
1: Yeah, I definitely would. I think uh, I always like three-point shooting. Um, I like using the Ken Pomp ratings. I don't know if you've ever used those, but I'm pretty big on those. Um, Yeah, your adjusted offense, defense, opponents. Um, I think one of the biggest things is having a point guard uh, who can handle the ball and doesn't turn it over. I think yeah. point guards are uber important come tournament time. The big guys, I'm not. I'm not as big on the big guys come tournament time as I'm on the point guards. Um, that and I sometimes, you know, I'll pick a system over a, a better team just because I think the system is better. So, like a a Syracuse with that two three zone, I'm going to pick a lot of times in the tournaments for for upsets. Yeah. Uh if they're playing a team that doesn't have a great three point shooting, I'm going with Syracuse or a team that plays that kind of a zone. Yeah. Um or if they if that team has not played teams with zone, you know, they're gonna be hit with a zone like Syracuse uh and not know what to do with it. So it depends on the system. I'm big on three point shooting, I'm big on point guard.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. So just looking at the uh, left side of the bracket. Obviously, I'll I'll post this. I'll I'll post both our brackets um along with the podcast so you guys can follow, follow along. Uh, but just looking at the le- the left side, we've got uh, as you mentioned before, Kansas and Oregon in the number one and number four seed, and then Kentucky against Duke is the other big first round matchup. Uh, who have you picked between Duke and Kentucky to move on?
1: I would take Duke in that one. It's hard to pick against Coach K. Yeah, um, but I I don't think the ACC was the strongest this year. Um, I'm not big on Florida State, to be honest. Um, okay, but I, I would I would have to take Duke in that game.
0: Yeah, no, I've gone Kentucky. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we we're both uh, both different in the uh, the first region. Um, if we move down the board to Okay, so moving moving down the board to the South region, we've got Florida State in the number one seed that you said you know you're not not that big on playing uh season Hall. Uh, the Pirates have been quite good this year. Um, I wouldn't say they're sweet sixteen material. I don't think I really would have picked them to go much further. Um, in the in the tournament, if if I was looking at a March Madness bracket, so I think this this pick is quite straightforward for me.
1: Yeah, I would take Florida State there. I'm not big on Florida State, but uh, they were a really deep team. They had a bunch of guys that could give you 10-12 points a game. Yeah, um, well,
0: Devin Vassell so, is probably going to be a lottery pick.
1: Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I don't have Florida State going uh, all the way, but I would take them here.
0: Okay, and what about um, the, uh, the other matchup in the South region with Baylor and Michigan State?
1: I'm going Michigan State. They yeah. were on an absolute tear at the end of the year. Uh I think they they had a really rough stretch. I was uh looking at their schedule, you know, they lost I think 6 of 10 games there in the middle of their uh their conference. Yeah. But then they won the last 5 and I believe four of those five were all against top 20 teams. Um yeah. and they got, you know, Cassius Winston is is one of the best players in the country. So I really like Michigan State at at this point.
0: Yeah, well, my big my big uh selling point with Michigan State, obviously, I'm a a massive Spartans fan. Uh, is that Cassius Winston and Josh Langford both have final four experience, so they've been they've been in the tournament before. They know what it takes to get to get to the uh, second weekend. Um, so I really think that they definitely would have uh, at least made it to the the Elite Eight. I'm not sure about if they would have made it to the final four. Obviously, you know. It's completely unpredictable, uh, but I think, yeah, no, there definitely would have been a team to watch uh, in everyone's March Madness brackets. Moving up to the, the west bracket in the top right corner, uh, we've got Gonzaga, who were the number one seed and probably, I in my opinion, would have been a number one seed in the tournament. Uh, Creighton at the number two seed, but Gonzaga have a first-round matchup against Louisville. Um I think this one is also pretty straightforward. Louisville haven't been that strong this year, Um, and I honestly think Gonzaga have been very good. 31-2 is not bad.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Gonzaga's got a ton of talent, like always. Um, I don't love their conference. Uh, They they have a weak schedule every year, but I love Gonzaga here this year. Um, And their head coach, Mark Few, is a guy from my hometown of Cresswell. Uh, I went to I went to camp there in high school up in Gonzaga so I always root for the Zags when I can.
0: Moving down the bracket uh in the 2 seed Creighton versus Maryland. Uh, I, I honestly I'm quite big on Creighton. I love their 3 point shooting. They've been the number 1 the number 3 offense in the country this season. Uh and Marcus uh Zegarowski, who I think won't declare for the draft. I really hope he does stay In college basketball for another season, because I think if he matures um, for another season, he really has the chance to be a very, very high lottery pick in the next draft. But he shot 42% from three uh, this season, which is quite uh, an impressive feat for college basketball. And also Tyshawn Alexander as well, rounding out the rest of that backcourt. It really is the best backcourt in the country, and I think if you have a good backcourt... in March Manus, I really think it makes a difference.
1: Yeah, this was probably the toughest uh, first-round pick for me. I would say this is a toss-up, uh, but I am more than happy with going with Creighton. Yeah.
0: Moving down to the East region, in the bottom right-hand corner, we have Dayton, who were the number one seat. Um, and they have a, a big first-round matchup against the defending champions, the uh, Virginia.
1: Yeah, I got Dayton here. Um, I don't have them going all the way. Like a lot of people did. Um, Toppin is, uh, you know, the probably consensus number one NBA draft pick and yeah, uh, absolute stud. But, um, I got, I got Dayton here. I'm not too worried about Virginia. Uh, Virginia is uh, there, there, uh, Tony Bennett either has, uh, passable offense or awful offense. And, um, you know, defense will always be there for his teams, but uh, I think Dayton's got more than enough to get past them. I've actually gone a different route. I've gone for
0: Virginia. Uh, my reasoning behind that is that is that they're the defending champions, uh, they won 11 of their last 12 games, um, a lot of those coming against uh, top 20 teams. Um, I honestly think they were... They're seated a little bit too low in the AP role. I know they had a very slow start to the season, uh, but I think they should have been a little bit higher. Um, and their squad is also they didn't have a lot of squad turnover. Uh obviously they lost DeAndre Hunter to the NBA. Uh, but they have quite a similar squad to the championship team that they had last year. So I've actually picked Virginia in that matchup. Um moving down the bracket, the last first round matchup we have is uh Villanova Wildcats against uh San Diego State.
1: Yeah, I got San Diego State in that one. Um yeah. I mean up up until a couple of weeks ago they were on their way to what looked like a perfect season. Um I I think they keep that role going, at least, you know, in this first round against Villanova.
0: Yeah. Moving into the Elite eight, um if we go back up to the top left hand corner, uh obviously you picked Oregon. Over Kansas, yep. which, um, you know, as as, as you, it's your alumni... I'll, you got Sorry?
1: You got to let me uh, just kind of explain a little bit here. Because you mentioned how you're big on on point guards in, in the backcourt and uh, three-point shooting. So, Oregon was, I believe, the fourth best three-point shooting team in the country this year. And and Pritchard was, uh, in my opinion, deserving of the, uh, the Naismith Award.
0: Oh, yeah. And, well, he had some very impressive performances against Uh, the one that stands out to me was the 38 points against Arizona, which I think was just yeah. a ridiculous
1: game. Yeah, and he willed them back to that overtime win against Washington with some just insane, insane play. Um, I think Pritchard's, I mean, Oregon had tons of injuries this year. Um, they had Bull Bull last year, and they had to end Folly Dante this year, both who, I think Dante only played 12 games, but he was the number one, number two high school center coming out. And if they could get a little bit of performance out of him, they could have gotten some of that at the end of the season. Um, they would have been uh, clicking. They had Okoro, I believe, missed a couple weeks because his dad died and he had to go back to Nigeria. Um, so, I mean, they to, considering what they were able to accomplish with how many injuries they had, I think come tournament time, you got uh, uh, Dan Altman... That's his time to shine. You know, he always puts together teams come tournament time. They got a little bit healthier. Duarte comes back. I mean, they were just uh, – they were broken at the end there, but just in and I think they had enough to beat Kansas. I would take uh, Oregon into the Final Four.
0: Okay. Well, I've taken – I've decided to take Kentucky. Um, just uh, Kentucky over Kansas is my pick. Moving down the bracket, um, I've got Florida State against Michigan State. I think we both agree on that one. Uh, who do you think wins that matchup?
1: i got Michigan State. Uh, I'm big on Michigan State uh, in this position, and I, I really liked how they played at the end of the season, like we mentioned, and they got the players to get it done.
0: I agree. I think Michigan moves on to the – sorry, Michigan State moves on to the Final Four. Uh, moving up to the top right-hand corner, uh, Gonzaga against Creighton, which I think we both agree on. I've actually gone Creighton here. I think um, Creighton, with their three point shooting, um, can really give Gonzaga a run for their money.
1: I would go Gonzaga. I think they've got they've got the star power to get it done. Um, They've got a pretty solid defense. I always hesitate against picking some of those major schools like Gonzaga, Dayton. yeah, they because they obviously
0: they play in a play in a week week of conference, right? So their record is always gonna yeah. be good.
1: Yeah, but I think in the last, you know, four or five years, Gonzaga has kind of put a lot of those doubts aside. You know, they haven't won at all, but um they've Mark gotten, View
0: They've gone close uh, is
1: Yeah, they have gone real deep the last few years. You know, they've beaten the teams that uh they should have beaten and they've uh they've impressed me. I, I think Gonzaga goes far this year. I had them beating Creighton.
0: Um, and then the final matchup is, well, I have Virginia, but you're going Dayton, but I, I think San Diego state, uh, moves on into the final four.
1: Yeah, I, that would be a toss up for me too. Dayton and San Diego state, um, San Diego state. I, I think I would pick Dayton over that. I think Toppin, you know, star power again. I think it, March Madness really comes down. If you've got one or two players who can take over. And carry a team like Toppin can. Uh, I like those teams. I think Dayton had a had a bit of a tougher schedule. They're a little more tested. Um, San Diego State faltered against some pretty bad teams. Um, well, not necessarily bad teams, but they had some 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 hiccups there towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think Dayton was really. I think they were really special this year. I think they couldn't win at all. I would have them go to the Final Four.
0: Moving on into the Final Four. So just to recap, your Final Four is uh, Oregon-Michigan State in the first matchup. Uh, And then you've got Gonzaga and Dayton in the second matchup. So just run us through your picks for both of those games.
1: Well, I'll make you happy. Uh, I would (laughs) pick Michigan State over Oregon. If I'm being realistic, I think... uh, Michigan State would have a better chance of advancing that far anyways. Yeah, Oregon is kind of my good pick. Uh, I, Michigan State, I think, was you know, they, Tom Izzo is always ready come March.
0: Oh, they had he's done solid, starter
1: power. <laughs> they were on a roll. I would take Michigan State to the final game, and then I would have Gonzaga over uh, Dayton for the final game, and I would pick to win it all. I would take Gonzaga. I think this is their year. Um, Mark Few has been waiting for years to get a championship under his belt, I, th- I think he uh, he gets it done this year.
0: Fair enough. I've gone uh, San Diego State versus Michigan State in the um, in the championship game, and I've decided to pick uh, San Diego State. So that would be my national champions. Um, I've wow. always I've always loved a underdog story. I'm not really a big chalk person when it comes to March Madness. Um, I, lo- I love. Seeing the lower seeds uh make it as far as they can, obviously the last the last um the last year for there not to be a number one seed in the final four was twenty seventeen which wasn't that long ago
1: yeah that is uh that's a bold pick san diego state i mean i I don't think they would have done it all, but I don't think that's uh unrealistic i they had a stout team this year,
0: yeah. All right, awesome. Well, that's all we have time for on the podcast today. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast and uh, understood what we've been talking about. Uh, hopefully, we've clarified things um, as much as we can. But Dylan, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully, I provided uh, some value and insight and for your listeners.
0: Thank you for listening to the JC Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to be notified of future episodes, head over to either one of our social media platforms.